Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, the latest on the local political scene heading into this month's primaries, P.J. Flex Row the Boat Wall debuts at the U of M Children's Hospital and the 13-year-old hot dog king of Minneapolis. But first... Cell phone, the alley. Aldrich to Bryant. Last week, Minneapolis Mayor Jacob Fry released body camera video of the fatal June 23rd officer-involved shooting of Thurman Blevins. It all started after a 911 caller reported someone firing a gun into the air and ground in North Minneapolis. In the wake of his death, Blevins' family members and community activists had been calling for the video to be released and for the officers involved, Ryan Kelly and Justin Schmidt, to be charged. Immediate reaction to the video was mixed. Lieutenant Bob Kroll, president of the Minneapolis Police Federation, said the video clearly showed the officers were justified in their actions. As Blevins' gun comes around, you'll see he fired. There, It hits the pavement in the alley. The round hits the pavement right in the, right in the direction of Officer Kelly. Blevins' cousin, Sidney Brown, however, said... You didn't hear no shots fired back in regards of Thurman Blevins shooting the officers or indicating that he fired back shots. Then on Monday, Hennepin County Attorney Mike Freeman was about to announce whether there would be charges against the officers. You have justified police. Law officers, officers are required to react quickly in tense, uncertain, and rapidly evolving situations needed, needed to be taken into account. Freeman left the room and Blevins' family members and activists took over the press conference. You guys have heard Mike Freeman's lies. Excuse me, hold on one second. You guys have heard Mike Freeman's lies, so that's nothing new. But we want to give this family a platform to speak their truth because this was their relative who was gunned down in cold blood in the streets of North Minneapolis. Us black people, every year we're here looking for justice and we're, and we're tired of watching these snuff movies by the Minneapolis Police Department. Eventually, Freeman announced there was insufficient evidence to charge the officers. One of the officers claimed Blevins fired at him during the chase. Freeman said he doesn't know that for sure, but evidence shows Blevins did fire the gun at some point and... It was somewhat irrelevant to our final decision not to charge because even pointing a loaded handgun to a police officer in close proximity is sufficient to put a real threat to the officer, particularly since the off, it's been reported to the officer that the guy has been shooting the gun. On Tuesday, hundreds of protesters took to the streets of Minneapolis demanding that the officers involved in the shooting be fired. Activist Nakima Levy-Pounds. We are asking the Minneapolis Police Department to stop using the Bureau of Criminal Apprehension to conduct investigations into officer-involved shooting cases. The BCA is not a credible agency for investigating police-involved shooting cases. Levy Pounds contends the state should work with local cities to develop an agency with community input that's responsible for investigating officer-involved shooting cases. Despite criticism from Levy Pounds and others, Hennepin County Attorney Mike Freeman says... community often needs some time to heal from a tragic event, so it makes communication harder 
But I have always believed in transparency and accountability. In the meantime, the deaths of Thurman Blevins, Jamar Clark, and Philando Castile remain fresh in the minds and hearts of a still-grieving community. While the specifics of each of these men's deaths have been argued over and will continue to be, it appears there is a growing division between many communities of color in the metro and the officials hired and elected to protect and serve them. The question is, how do we bridge that divide? Minnesota Matters returns after this. It's Thursday night, and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Started off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody, squeeze in. Say cheese. Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly, it's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed... could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Prosecutors this week filed second-degree murder charges against Stillwater Prison inmate Edward Johnson, who's accused of killing corrections officer Joseph Gom in a welding shop. And the political ripples from that fatal assault continue spreading. MNN's Bill Werner is here to bring us up to date. Scott, leaders of the union representing corrections officers came to the Capitol this week with a list of demands. Union Policy Committee President John Hilliard. We know working as correctional officers bring a degree of risk. But that risk can and should be minimized. We should not have to work with staffing levels and policies to increase that risk. We believe Joe's death was preventable. To let you know how bad the correctional officer staffing levels get, let us give you a few examples. At Stillwater, we have blocks with four officers and 280 inmates. At Moose Lake, we can have 400 inmates with two staff in the yard. Do the math. You all know the numbers of assaults and staff has skyrocketed since January. We want to say loud and clear that we need more funding so we can have a safe staffing level. We have been going to the legislature every year for a decade now. Every single week, the legislature is in session asking for more correctional officers. Now we are demanding it. Corrections Department officials responded in a written statement, quote, Our staffing analysis indicates we need at least 150 more officers, and over the years we have repeatedly asked the legislature for these funds. Our current discussions with legislators reveal that they support our officers and that this will be an important discussion in the upcoming session. We support the union's demand for increasing funding for corrections officers, unquote, that statement from the State Corrections Department. Then there is the issue of prison industries, including the welding shop where Officer Gom was killed. Hilliard on that. What we're saying is we will no longer go out when we are short staff and MinCorp dictates that we're going to keep the shops open. 
should that shop not have been open on Wednesday, July 18th? Out of respect for Joe and his family and the investigational process that is underway, we're not going to go in details about that stuff, but we can tell you one thing, that uh, we were short-staffed that day. Commissioner Tom Roy said earlier his department realizes the welding shop at Stillwater is a crime scene with victims other than Officer Gom, and he says they're looking at repurposing that area and the building. I think it's pretty fair to say that the floor that Officer Gom was killed in will not be utilized uh, within this administration. But Commissioner Roy did go on to say the Dayton administration will continue supporting vocational training in state prisons, including shops with tools. We truly believe that those opportunities meet our mission, and our mission is to make people better. We asked Commissioner Roy, What can you tell Minnesotans about when you're in a facility and you have tools, necessary tools that can be used potentially as weapons? How, going forward, are you going to keep your corrections officers safer? Safety is much more than just tools. Safety in involves communication skills. It involves staffing levels that we've talked about. It involves programming that we offer. All those things contribute to staff safety. Uh, I can tell Minnesotans about tools that the record of incidents involving tools is low. And it is a system that will never be absent of risk. People in uniform, whether it's a firefighter, a police officer, all have inherent risks to their work and in government uh, there has to be a certain risk tolerance or we'll never get our jobs done highway workers dangerous dangerous job they can't quit working we can't quit working we have a mission to serve the state and uh, we're going to do it and then there's the new inmate discipline policy in Minnesota prisons. Again, John Hilliard with the Corrections Officers Union. Demand number two, eliminate the 90-day step-down program and revert back to the previous discipline guidelines immediately. Before the, inst uh, the department in uh, instituted the new policies for segregation, we told them we needed more correction officers. We were already down in numbers and didn't have the staffing to handle this. They did it anyway. Now the number of assaults is up, way up. At Oak Park Heights, we have charged four offenders with attempted murder internally just since March. We believe the new isolation policy is creating an unsafe environment for correctional officers, and the rising number of assaults unfortunately proves it. The Corrections Department, in a written statement, responded, the new policy is part of a national movement in corrections and, quote, it is an open-ended disciplinary process that allows for the most serious offenders to remain in a restricted environment if they are non-compliant or display assaultive behavior. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this.
Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. By the end of the month of August, college football will be everywhere you look, but for children at the University of Minnesota Masonic Children's Hospital, it's a football team that's providing them a constant reminder of hope and positivity. Reporter J.W. Cox has the story. Listen to any interview with Golden Gopher head football coach P.J. Fleck, and you'll hear him say, row the boat. But the team's mantra has an impact more than just on the gridiron. Kids at the Masonic Hospital will now be reminded of its message through the Row the Boat Wall, unveiled this week. Three massive walls put together in one that has the oar, the compass, and the boat. And each of those segments talk about the importance of those specific spaces. So it's almost like you're going to a museum, an art museum, and you can walk through the wall to check out the different pieces of art. This is how it's going to feel in the hospital. That's Nick Ingbloom, Community Partnerships Director at Masonic. He says the team can routinely be found at the hospital, and the wall is a perfect symbol of how the team's work with the kids is the genuine article and not just for show. When P.J. Fleck was hired, we set up a meeting with him two years ago, and we sat down in his office, and the first thing he said to myself and my colleague was, I knew about you before you even knew that I was coming to Minnesota. And what he meant by that is the Masonic Children's Hospital, his work has been his volunteer, his philanthropic efforts have reached back when he was at Western Michigan visiting local hospital there. So he wanted, the first thing he wanted to do was to plant himself in this community philanthropically. He said Masonic Children's Hospital at the University of Minnesota is going to be the place to do it. And as that relationship has been budding, it's turned into, you know, biweekly visits during the season with his players to him opening a fund at the Children's Hospital that supports, it's called the Roll the Boat Fund. It helps support programs for our patients and families, doing a tailgating event prior to a football game at the hospital and then taking patients over to watch the game. And then just this year, he said to us, I want to do something um, big again. And his comment was, I want Roll the Boat to be relevant in this hospital so that the patients that are going through tough times, that they can look at that as their motivation to basically get better, to find that motivation to uh, recover. And he said, let's do a massive wall, kind of what we have at the athletic facility. And so we went through a lot of, a lot of, uh, had a lot of conversations and approvals, and we were very blessed to get it done. With their coach in the lead, Ingbloom says the impact of the team's visits are clear, and that impact runs in both directions. These guys are football players, but when they're at the hospital, they're men, and they're, they're there because they have huge hearts. And I think what we have to remember is these are college athletes, and it sometimes can be a scary thing visiting sick kids. But what PJ and Heather do is enable these athletes to look past that and the patients say these are children that are going through a tough time and they just want interaction with people other than their doctor and their nurse. And these, these athletes go into that room and they look at that child as somebody that's not sick, but that's somebody that just needs a visit and it turns into an experience unlike any other. The mantra features three elements, the oar, the boat, and the compass, all fully depicted on the wall. The or is the energy you bring to your life, your family and your spirit, spiritual life and academic life. Um, and so it's everything you bring to your life. So I, I look at that from the patient side of things is when PJ goes in and talks about that, these families are going through a tough time. And so using that or to kind of wade their way through the water to, you know, whether it's a positive or a negative outcome, they can use that to navigate how they're going to live their life to the fullest. That boat is a sacrifice that the family is making, um, willing to give up to basically help their child heal or help their child go through the really tough times. And then obviously the big thing is the compass is what he talks about is the direction that your life is set by the leader. And whether that's your family, whether that's your brother or sister, the compass is hopefully to get you out of this hospital and be healthy and be active back in your community where 
you were uprooted from. A lot of these families are at our hospital. We are a worldwide destination. Families come from all over. They'll spend months to years at our hospital, and to give them this motivation from the boat, the oar, and the compass, and the compass is basically saying, get out of this hospital. We want you to go home. We want you to live a normal life. Obviously, you're you're living a life in a situation that's not really a great one, but if we can get you on the positive path to get you home and live that sense of normalcy and get back in your community, that's the goal of Roll the Boat. To Ingbloom, there is no doubt the impact of the visits and the Roll the Boat mindset is clear. These kids spend a lot of time here and are hearing a lot of negative things potentially in their lives, and there are some positive things. But when we can present the Roll the Boat mantra to them and tell them what Roll the Boat means, these kids pick up that or that boat and that compass and follow that path. Um, I think the best story to tell is uh, the patient Kyle Tanner. It started with a visit in the hospital bed. Kyle got to be an outpatient. I called Kyle. He came back to surprise the players at one of their visits. He was doing great wearing all his rolled boat gear. And then he basically has been doing great otherwise and has been home, and we invited him back. And then just this past May, he came and spoke at our signature fundraising event and basically said the importance of what P.J. Fleck meant to him and his recovery from a really rare blood cancer to thriving right now, which is, that is it all bottled up right there is Kyle Tanner. Kyle Tanner's story is what Roll the Boat is all about. Last fall, the rival Iowa Hawkeyes made headlines with the Iowa Wave as fans and players waved to kids in the hospital adjacent to the stadium during games in Iowa City. Ingbloom says whatever people with a platform can do to help kids and families in pain, they should do. Obviously, PJ is on a platform as head football coach, but we have to remember that this place is, this this, this university is set upon Fortune 100 companies, small to mid-sized businesses, entrepreneurs that are doing great. All the professional sports teams are involved. These patients absolutely have that platform to be able to look at a go for athletics and say they're helping me get out of this hospital and so the wave is fantastic but we have our own special things going on here with roll the boat and with everything else with our professional sports teams and community golden gopher football using a platform to inspire hope and grabbing an oar for kids who can't scott back to you thank you jw minnesota matters returns after this Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. 
It's a sunny afternoon in North Minneapolis, and more than a dozen people are lined up for some lunch at Mr. Faulkner's hot dog stand. That's not all that unusual on the face of it, but there's a twist. Mr. Faulkner is 13-year-old Jaquan Faulkner, and he's garnering national attention for his remarkable small business success story. We'll get to all that in a moment, but first, every underdog tale has to begin with some adversity, and Jaquan's came in the form of bureaucratic red tape. You see, a few weeks ago, Jaquan found out he didn't have the required permit to operate his hot dog stand, and when faced with a possible shutdown, he did not take the news well. Oh my gosh, no! Why? When they shut me down, I was asking my uncle the whole time, like, why was why was set up? Why did I get shut down? The permit shouldn't have nothing to do with it. I'm not old. I'm young. So shouldn't they just let me slide there? Like, nope. Remarkably, instead of closing down the shop, neighborhood police and community members like Ann Fix with the Northside Economic Opportunity Network, or NEON, pitched in to help Jaquan get cooking again. Yeah, it was a great team approach. First, we approached Jaquan to make sure, you know, do you, are you just trying to make some extra money or do you really want to do this as a business? And he said, I really want this to be a business. I want it to be legitimate. And so we went back to the city and the city said, we'll work with him. Ryan Crick and Daniel Huff from the Health Inspector gave them some, you know, here's food safety, really kind of gave him a little bit of training. They also donated a hand-washing sink to make sure that he was using proper handling, you know, safe procedures. And then from behind the scenes, I was doing things like helping him to set up very, very basic accounting and bookkeeping system, helping getting the register set up, a little bit of that kind of advice. And so each day it's just kind of, okay, what's next, Jaquan? Everything we throw at this kid, he's running with it, he's doing great. Yeah. Officer John Edwards says he and his fellow officers relish the chance to help Jaquan catch up and get the business rolling again. The Minneapolis Police Department, the Bike Cops for Kids, um, we saw a remarkable opportunity to help a young man out flourish his business. Uh, we were able to come together, and uh, a lot of us took our own money and um, help get this young man some some products, some pop, chips, juice, hot dogs, ketchup, mustard, relish, onions, buns, burgers, you know, you name it, everything that you need to run a successful hot dog and Polish sausage business here for yourself. And so we were very delighted to be able to come together and help him lift his business off the ground. Why is it important for, for officers to help this young man out in this way? Honestly, we wanted to. We wanted to do this. Um, we want to inspire community and community to come together and, and help each other out. Um, not just the community itself, but the police department and the community. It's a beautiful thing. It, it's wonderful. It has brought a whole lot of people together. It, it, it's just, it's just a wonderful thing, you know, um, to be able to help this young man out. And he's been doing good. He's been very successful. He, he, he did everything the right way, and we were able to help facilitate some of those things. He, Jaquan is legit, and he's doing very good. Jaquan says he was motivated to go into business for himself at the age of 11. So I wanted to see how it was to work, you know, work. My, I had told my uncle that I wanted to find a job. He told me that I can't because I'm too young. I'm like, why? <laughs> age shouldn't mean nothing. But age does mean something, and I was surprised by Jaquan's answer when I asked about the biggest challenge facing a 13-year-old entrepreneur. I'm young, and when people see young people do what I'm doing, they want to support it nonstop. So when people support it and support it and support it, 
I'm just like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Wait, hold up, I wanna catch up to y'all. I'm not even there yet. They come up with credit cards. They come up here with 10s, 20s, 100s. I'm just like, I don't even think I got this. Auntie, uncle, y'all got change for this? They're like, I don't even know if I got change for it. Good problem to have though. Yeah. And Fix from Neon says Jaquan deserves all the success he's enjoying. Yeah, he is pretty remarkable. And um, truly, working with Jaquan has been probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and he genuinely is full of gratitude and just a, an excitement about his future. And it isn't all about hot dogs. What's really interesting is that he really would love to go to college and study architecture, but he really does see the power of small business, that, that this could be a good opportunity for him to work through his school years, but open a door possibly to uh, a bigger, brighter future in college or further study. As you might expect, Jaquan has a plan, and he told his uncle, When I get older, I can design my own business, and that's architecture. But I can also have my own bit by have my own business, I'm still an entrepreneur. He was like, You too smart. <laughs> Where you be getting some of this stuff from? In the meantime, Jaquan says he wants to share his good fortune and he says next summer when he reopens the hot dog stand, he plans to donate some of the money he makes to help kids who suffer from depression. Jaquan gets emotional when he talks about his own struggles. When I was younger, I had actually dealt with depression. I used to live with I'm, I won't say who I was living with, but when I used to live with somebody, she would, like, me and my brother and my sister would be last at anything. So, like, when we would come home, look for something to eat, she will be like, okay, go to your room, because the food is already made. She will be like, okay, go to your room. I want to, okay, I'm going to feed my friends, and then I'm going to feed my boyfriend, and then I'm going to feed these people, and then if there's something left, I'm going to feed y'all. And then coming back, we will have, like, smaller plates of food and stuff. So, uh, that, I was thinking about like, dang, she don't really care about us or nothing. And then going to school, I used to always get bullied. And I thought, like, nobody really cared. So what I did was, I, that, that just, I don't know why it just came up in my head. But when I met my uncle and auntie, the first person I told my brother, he was trying to get me away from me, then I told my auntie. My auntie just showed me love. And then my auntie just kept supporting me, and then like, I just stopped, like, that wasn't my head no more. Jaquan's also getting love from his customers, who stand in line not just for the food, but to show their support. Customers like Alicia from Andover. Being a mother myself, I was really proud of the fact that he wanted to do this during the summertime, of course, giving of his time, um, so that he can make his own money. He don't have to rely on his mom and his dad in order to buy his school clothing. So I felt that he is just showing that he's a leader. Uh, amongst his peers, and then maybe we have other children who want to do the same thing. Jaquan says he wants his customers to walk away with more than a full stomach. That's literally all I want my customers to see, that I show respect, I show love, I show that if, if you think there's no hope, I can show that you to you that there is, even from a stranger. And I don't want to be a, I don't want to be a stranger no more. I want to be somebody... I'll be somebody that everybody knows. And judging from the long lines, big tips, and kind words from customers, community members, and well-wishers from around the world, Mr. Faulkner is well on his way to accomplishing that remarkable goal as well. A hot dog and chips and soda, please. Thank you. And thank you very much for what you're doing. Good for you.
Good for you to start a business. Thank you. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.